Welcome to Imposter Interrupted episode 13, the penultimate episode of 2018. I'm going to try in 2019 to put these podcasts out on a bi-weekly basis, uh, on a more consistent basis than I've been doing, but I'm pretty happy in the past six months I put out 13 episodes, so that's been very exciting. This has been a great year for me, as I always say, and I'm excited to continue this podcast and get even more great guests in 2019, so stay tuned. A few announcements, housekeeping as they say. I'm going to be holding the second Meet Your Mentor uh, series event on January 16th. Originally, I had advertised it to happen on the 9th of January, but that is just too close to school coming back in session on January 7th. So we're going to do it the following Wednesday, January 16th, and this edition is called Meet Your Marketing Mentor. I have a few very cool mentors lined up, a couple more to be confirmed, but if you want to check that out, go to www.imposterinterrupted.com or search Imposter Interrupted on Facebook and you can see who the mentors are and what the date is and buy tickets for 25 bucks until Christmas and then the price will go up a little bit um, but please do come to this event. It's a really, really great event. Like a lot of networking events, you have to stand around, get your confidence, figure out kind of like an elevator pitch and just introduce yourself to people. This is, the format is that five people or six people sit at a table with one mentor ask questions. The conversation flows pretty easily for about 20 minutes. The buzzer rings, or in this case, the MC will scream next, and then um, you move on to the next. But because the format is like small groups of discussions and there's a mentor who's there, you know her career, it's a lot easier to connect with people and have organic conversations and you're not just like sitting in a corner with a glass of wine. So it's a really good opportunity if you want to network but you don't like the regular format of networking events. It's also a good opportunity if you want to increase your connections in marketing communications PR firm um, with the mentors and with the guests, a great opportunity to meet new people in the same field as you and a great opportunity just to like make some cool new friends and try something new. I really recommend it. I had a lot of great feedback um, in the last one that we did in November and this is going to be even better because I'm going to fix some of my mistakes like not feeding people. This time I will feed at least snacks. So please come to that. That's January 16th. And then I'm going to do a smaller workshop event on January 19th. So that's Saturday, January 19th from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. A side hustle huddle workshop. So we're going to figure out how to work together to really get from idea to execution. So a lot of that is mindset work. So we'll do a lot of mindset work and then planning um, actionable items for executing the first step of your side hustle. So what do we have to do? To make this dream into an actual side hustle you might i can't teach you <laughs> quite how to make money but i can do the workshop of getting from idea to actual you know concrete thing so that's on the 19th that's 35 bucks limited to 15 people please come and then another thing i'm going to be offering in the new year are two different things one is i'm going to do a peer mentor matchmaking service so i'm going to be offering you know two connect people with peers where you can like mentor each other and really like hold each other accountable in your field. And that will be a peer matchmaking service that you can ask me about when you see me at the event or send me an email, sophie at imposterinterrupted.com. And then also I'll be doing career advising. So this is kind of like another workshop and like vision based thing well where we'll reverse engineer like what kind of life do you want to have how do you want to be at work do you want to work in an office do you want to work remotely we'll and we'll reverse engineer from the life you want to have and the things that you're really interested in and then see from there like how we can find a job that fits into that vision you have for yourself how to find a career like what that might look like for you and finally my guest for today is chelsea gagnon she is an ad she has cystic fibrosis and she's an advocate and a lobbyist for some rare disease medication and just to really like bring the profile of cystic fibrosis to the masses it's a really disease that not very many people know about she really wants to just raise its profile and raise awareness for the disease so she's very interesting and um, brave so we have a discussion about her disease and how she you know advocates for other patients who um, suffer from cystic fibrosis and and children i think that you'll enjoy this it's a little bit uh more of serious subject matter and different than the normal um format of this podcast but I think it's really important that we talk to all kinds of people and about all kinds of struggles in their professional and personal life and really you know provide that sense of community to everyone this should be a totally diverse and open community and I'm excited that we're you know 
really getting all kinds of points of view and all kinds of people from all different kinds of backgrounds into the fold. So please enjoy the episode. Bye. Well, thank you for doing this with me. Thanks for having me. Um, So do you want to tell me a little bit about like your story and like each kind of point of impact that's led you to where you are today and like what your kind of like goal is and what you're doing now? I'm 29 years old. When I was born, life expectancy for a person with cystic fibrosis, which is what I have, was around late teenage years. So the fact that I'm 29 today is um, due to fundraising and medical research, which is super awesome. My disease got progressively worse as I got older because it's defined by decline. So as I got older each year, I'd get more sick more often. So I have this in my chest. I don't know if you can see, you can't really see it anymore, but mm-hmm. I get IVs. IV antibiotics every three months. Now it's less often, which is good. But I graduated university and I worked a little bit, but then I started to get too sick to work. So then I was only working part-time and eventually I had to stop working. So last year was at that point in my life. It was pretty depressing because, I mean, there's nothing for me to look forward to. Everyone was getting a new job, um, getting promoted, buying a house, getting engaged, having kids, yeah. getting new animals, and I was just sitting there with like, okay, so I'm just going to keep declining until I need a double lung transplant or until I pass away. So at the age of 28, it was difficult, especially with social media and seeing all that stuff. So that's where I was. And then I started a new medication, which is revolutionary, and it changed my life completely. So what I've been doing lately aside from working part-time because I'm able to work again, is trying to fight to bring access to that to everyone with cystic fibrosis in Canada. And what does that medication look like? What is that? Um, so it's called Orcambi. It's a complicated name because all medications are. Um, it's basically just two tablets in the morning and two at night. So I already take about 30 pills a day, so to me taking four more is not a big deal. And within a month of being on it, I didn't realize the change was happening as it was happening. Kind of what happened was called a purge. So it gets the cells in your lungs working properly. So I'll explain cystic fibrosis first. Sure. So it's a lung disease primarily because that's what will be affected the most. And the salt channels in your cells don't work properly. So when that happens, the mucus that's in every organ in your body, the mucus just sits there because it's not being um, broken up by the salt. So that affects your lungs, obviously, because there's mucus which is taking place of air, so it's hard to breathe. And then secondly, in a twofold manner, the mucus plays host to bacteria and infections. So if there was uh, something in the air of any room and a healthy person like yourself inhaled it, you would just exhale it because your lungs are normal. But in my lungs, the bacteria sees moist, warm mucus and stays there. So my lungs are both scarred from infection and filled with mucus, so that leads my lung function to be around 45%. Okay. Whereas a normal person who has the ability to walk every day is around 120%. Wow. So anyways, this medication came in, and slowly but surely, um, I felt really sick because it started to make my cells work properly, so I was coughing so much. I thought I was so sick. And then after about a month, I realized on a day when I had done exercise twice in one day, I think, I don't remember what I did, but I know that I was at a yoga class at 8 p.m. And I was like, oh, I'm not tired. Oh, I just did yoga, my second activity of the day. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, what's going on? And I felt like I was on such a high. From that high, I realized, you're going to think this sounds really weird, but I thought I have depression and a lot of anxiety. Um, And I thought that I was almost going manic because my brain was going so fast and if I had five minutes in my day in the past It was on the couch, you know relaxing whereas now I was like, okay, let's make something to eat for later Let's make something for tomorrow. Let's go to the store. Let's um, Like write a story or something because I like writing and it was just like I thought I was manic So I brought it up with some other people with cystic fibrosis and with my doctors and they told me that that's not mania But that's just the way normal people are able to live their lives So for me, I thought like something crazy was developing in my brain, but there's like, no, like you have the ability to do all these things. So your brain, your brain plans stuff for you. So that's kind of what happened. And that's my life now is I'm able to do, like I came here today for this podcast and I, this morning, what did I do? I went to the gym, I ran an errand for my mom. I cooked lunch, a big lunch, and then I came here. So it was a full day. Yeah. Wow. So, um, what is the best? Okay. That you do. <laughs> okay, so because there's that sticky mucus in your lungs, 
um, the goal of all therapy in cystic fibrosis is to move the mucus and get it out. Because if it's moving, less likely for infection to be able to get its claws in there. And if you can cough the mucus out, then that's ultimately the best. Yeah. So the vest is an actual vest. If you guys don't know what it looks like, just picture a vest, like a sweater vest, except it's plastic and air is pumped into it by a compressor and it shakes like it goes air in and out really fast so that I just shake so it shakes the mucus in my lungs and while I'm doing that I do that twice a day and I inhale medications to loosen the mucus and open the airways okay so that's my vesting <laughs> and you put it on social media like what was your kind of like the trigger for you to be like okay like I'm gonna be now like an advocate so that happened I think it was three or four years ago I remember I was at the hospital for an appointment and I just, I was working at the bank at the time because I wasn't working as a teacher because there's too many germs. The bank wasn't that much better, but that's what I was doing. And every time I was a teller and every time I was coughing, like the clients would say, oh, here's a cough drop. Oh, here's this. Or how long have you been sick for? And I was just, I'd say sometimes, oh, I have cystic fibrosis. Like it's not contagious to you and a cough drop won't help. But 80% of the time no one knew what it was so I would just be like oh yeah I'm sick like thanks for the cough drop and I'd put it so I was just super frustrated that I was living a life in decline due to this illness that no one knew what it was so I remember I just took a selfie in the hospital and I posted on Facebook with this little rant and then it got a huge amount of attention because before that I was I was kind of ashamed I didn't want people to know I was different but then I got really upset and I was like well if I don't want other people to feel like this like the younger people with cystic fibrosis so I made it and it got a lot of comments and feedback and I was taken aback and then I decided, okay, so maybe I should start posting about this and people seem to like it and it, they react well and it helps fundraise and raise awareness. So hopefully one day everyone will know what it is and it'll get better. It seems like in the past, <coughs> in the past few years, there has been like a pretty strong campaign like in the Metro and stuff. You see a lot of like cystic fibrosis awareness campaigns mm -hmm. so that's good so in Quebec um there's one of the most highly concentrated amount of cystic CFers I'm gonna say that just so you don't get confused um in the world I think maybe second after Ireland just because of history and the way it comes so when I was going to university in Sejap I would see those ads in the metro and when I was a kid I remember um they would tell my parents and I you know you're gonna see this really intense ad but don't be freaked out because it's just trying to get insight like an emotional reaction out of people but there is a lot of awareness in Quebec um, surprisingly there's a lot more in the rest of Canada there's a lot of campaigns that go along it that go on at all of the universities and if you ask a university student outside of Quebec they probably know what it was they have this campaign called Shinerama which is a huge deal and I tried to bring it into McGill when I was here but it unfortunately didn't work out but yeah, so if your eyes are open in the metro, you'll see like a drowning person yeah. or something. But yeah, that's kind of like me on the inside. Oh, but uh, but you have like a more positive. Your your awareness seems like a bit more positive. Like you're about fitness and. Yeah. So. Like it seems I like the, your point of view, your framework is a little more positive. I guess so. I also do try to show like the negatives of it, but I think that. I don't know, I guess my personality is more like that, so I just try to keep it real. And do you think, it, is it hard to be like a, an advocate for an illness that could be fatal, like, and have depression and anxiety? Or is that help, does it make you feel like you have like a purpose and kind of like help with the anxiety piece? Um, it kind of gives me a purpose because I, like at our age, I don't have a career. I'm probably not gonna have kids because I'm not comfortable putting my body through that. Um, it's a big strain on your body when you have the lung function that I have and the frequency I get sick at. Mm -hmm. So I don't really have a purpose in life. So me being able to fight for coverage for this medication for the children who maybe will be able to grow up without lung damage, like that's one thing that I like to bring forward. And because growing up, I didn't know anyone with it. Um, you can't be in the same room as someone with cystic fibrosis because it's respiratory, so it travels in the air the infections mm -hmm. um, so there was no community and when I finally found a community I guess I was around 20 um, it was really nice to be able to have someone who understood what you're going through because yeah my family and my friends but it's people don't really understand the fatigue and the 
how sick you can feel. Um, so that was really nice. So I guess I just do it so that other people, I mean, if I affect, if I'm able to affect one person positively with cystic fibrosis, then I'm glad because I would have loved to have that when I was growing up in high school or elementary school and I felt different than everyone else. Yeah. yeah. And how did you find that community? I was like, I was really kind of depressed in a bad spot in my life. I remember I had just seen my psychologist and I went home and this is, I googled cystic fibrosis like chats or something like that and I found an online host or something and I joined it and I was really excited. It was called, I don't remember what it was called, but I saw someone post about a group on Facebook. So then I went to the group on Facebook and then from there it really took off. I made so many friends. So it wasn't really the, the page itself, it was more the Facebook group. Um, but I made so many great friends. I'm still friends with a lot of them, but a few of them have passed away. That's the nature of living with an illness like this is unfortunately I've had good friends pass away. But um, yeah, it was just random Googling in a really low spot and I found it and I was like, oh, this is so cool. They know what it means. Like, you know, not being able to breathe or being in the hospital all the time. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So how do you like, how do you deal with that? Like the, the fatal aspect? <coughs> the fatal aspect of the disease, like, in terms of just, like, living your life? Um, I remember when I was in high school, and I was emo, I was super emo <laughs> in high school, I'm not gonna lie, when I look at the pictures, I'm like, that is so embarrassing, but I remember, like, realizing, as I got older, the age, um, the median age of survival went up, so I remember when I was 16, it had hit 32, and I remember being, messaging people in MSN, like friends and be like, oh, you know, like this is my midlife. And you know, that was the big, I think maybe that took me into a really bad place in my teenage years. And maybe that's why I decided to be more emo, <laughs> but it was hard to come to terms in high school realizing that this could be my midlife crisis. So yeah. maybe I pierced my eyebrow because of that. I don't know. <laughs> um, but now as I get older, it's <clears throat> hard anyway, man. Yeah, exactly. So then I had that thrown in there, the realization, um, but it's just more that I try to make the most out of everything that I can because I know that any common cold could, in theory, take me to the hospital and be the end. I've seen it happen to a lot of people, so I'm a huge germaphobe. Um, I don't know. It's hard. Like, I can't tell you how my brain allows me to stay positive and smile and make people laugh. I like making people laugh. Um, I guess I'm just lucky that the chemicals most of the time allow me to be happy and positive, but there are bad cycles yeah. that also come, but I'm lucky that every time I'm able to bounce back, sometimes with medication and sometimes just on my own. And like what role does, <coughs> what role does exercise play in the, in your positivity and also in your physical health? So with cystic fibrosis, ever since I was a kid, um, exercise was a big deal and it was pushed on us because when your heart rate is going and when you're breathing faster, um, it moves the mucus also. So it's almost another form of physiotherapy that they've always recommended. Um, so like I played hockey, I played competitive until I was maybe 15 and that's when I got my first real huge hospitalization. I had like a cavity in my lung and stuff. Um, but I always played hockey and then soccer and stuff like that. And when I went to Sejap, I actually stopped playing competitive hockey. So I was only playing once a week and for a few years, that's when my health kind of took a really big turn down. And it took me a few years before I was able to realize and take a step back and say, you know what, I used to be on the ice and doing off-ice training four to five times a week. Then I stopped, and now in the last three years, I've had this huge decline. So after that, I started to go to the gym and work out more. So I try to work out like in an ideal world five to six times a week, but with cystic fibrosis, very unpredictable like today I texted you and said I didn't feel well and I didn't think I could come and it's just the nature of the disease is that I never know how I'm gonna wake up feeling or how half of the day is gonna go so um, luckily I do have a personal trainer my mom pays for it um, I started four years ago like when I was getting more sick um, just to motivate me to go and have someone to tell me what to do because my mental health is definitely in a better place now than it was then because I didn't really have anything to look forward to, whereas now I do. But back then, um, she hired someone, and um, he's actually become a good friend, and everyone at the gym is a good friend. 
But having someone texting me, like when I'm saying my brain doesn't want me to come, like I'm too anxious to get out of the house, and saying, no, get your ass over here. Yeah. Like it just gave me that extra push. And even though logically I knew getting to the gym and the endorphins going, I would feel better, I still couldn't really get myself there. So having him do the extra push of calling me or whatever was super helpful. And now that my mental health is a bit better, because my health overall is a bit better, um, I don't know. I just get kind of get a high off of exercising and feeling better and knowing, yes, I'm doing everything that I can today to keep my lungs as clear as possible. So it's fun. <laughs> is it know. mental health, like, struggle par for the course in CF, or is it? I think it's with any chronic illness. With any chronic illness. Um, like, as I got sicker, my mental health got worse. And I've noticed, even now that I'm more healthy, um, whenever I'm getting sick, I feel my mental health go down. And I know there's a connection, but I can't really figure it out yet, and I'm still working on that. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely um, it's definitely tied in with your physical health, unfortunately. Yeah. So I try my best, but when my body's sick, my mind also is sick. Yeah. Takes a downturn. And do you see a therapist all the time? Reg- on a I should basis? say yes because my doctors would like that, and my mom <laughs> would like that. But I feel bad because when I'm feeling like this and I'm healthy. I feel like I'm wasting a resource for someone who really needs it. So thankfully, my psychologist is very nice, and he lets me come and like go away for three months and then go back. So in theory, I would, but I feel like it's a waste because I'm like I don't feel the anxiety of like not being able to move in my house. So I don't need to go. Yeah. Then it'll come back and I'll go back. That's good, and he agrees, <coughs> he, he agrees that that's a good sort of sort of <laughs> it's acceptable to him. Yeah. Um, and like you, you're saying, like your goal is really to inspire like young people who have CF and like develop kind of like a sense of community along the way. Like, did you have kind of like someone to look up to? Um, I guess it was my peers who I could see, and even to this day, um, CFers who are really successful and work out harder than I do. Um, a lot of them do have better lung function, so when I get mad at myself because I can't make it to six day or my muscles don't look like they do, I'm like, okay, well, they do have like 30% more lung function. Um, You've really, you're pretty toned. Oh yeah, but you should see these people. They look like the athletes. I'll send you their ads. Um, like, you know, in a health magazine, like they, they could be on the cover. Wow. Yeah, but thank you for the comment. <laughs> um, I don't know if I looked up to anyone. Um, yeah, like friends who are going through the same stuff or people who'd gone through transplant and <clears throat> harder things than me. Are there, oh, go. Sorry, are there any like mentor almost like programs or is it really just? Um, there aren't, but maybe there will be some coming up just because, actually I think I've talked about that with Cystic Fibrosis Canada, <clears throat> having a mentoring program. Um, online because now everything is going online like when I was growing up I couldn't sit in a room with someone with CF who's older than me mm-hmm. but I think now with the online world they might be able to I feel like maybe that was discussed or maybe I brought it up because it would be if I had been nine years old and had been able to talk to someone who was like 29 and still like you know driving around and doing stuff that would be good yeah because it would help, be nice it helps you to <clears throat> kind of like see where it can go and things you don't know where they're gonna go yeah but like my Facebook friends I'd say like maybe 150 of them are CFers and some of them are younger and I I like to hope that they they see good things on Instagram I have a few parents following me who have young children with CF and they're always uh friends tell them about me and they message me and they're so happy to see someone my age like still working out and this and that so I'm glad that I can do that at least I know that like working is hard and and um and I know that you're in a relationship, and is that, like, how does that work? Like, does your illness, like, affect, how did it affect dating? Like, how does it, like, what's the character it plays in your relationship? So, I think when I was dating uh, in my early 20s, until I met my current boyfriend, I think I tried to hide it as best as I could. Um, and I remember actually going on a date one time, and I had my IV, so I had a, an IV in my upper arm um, that could stay there for a few months. It's called the pick line. And I remember, I think it was July, and I was wearing a hoodie because I didn't want him to know. Um, and now that I look back, like, that was so stupid that I was wearing a hoodie and that I couldn't, I couldn't feel open enough to tell him about it. Um, 
But with my current boyfriend, I remember, I don't know if it was in the first, it was definitely the first few dates. I don't know if it was the first one. It probably wasn't. I worked with him. And um, I remember we were watching a movie at his place. <clears throat> and I guess throughout the movie, I was coughing, but I didn't realize. Um, and I remember at the end of the movie, he asked me, he was like, are you going to be okay? Like, you've had this cold for quite a while. And then I was like, well, I got a little sarcastic. I was like, nah. Uh, it won't really go away and he's like what and then I was like oh no I've kind of opened the door and I kind of have to tell him but I was scared because you don't want someone to run away because of that right yeah so um so then I told him and like obviously like everyone else he didn't know what it was and I was like oh okay good you know um and then I remember him saying oh but my mom's a nurse so I'll just ask her and I was like oh no like he's gonna (laughs) he's gonna get the bad stories right of like how bad it is but I guess the fact that he found out pretty early and he didn't run away is a good sign. Yeah. Um, have you had people in the past who, who couldn't deal? I haven't, thankfully. I was very lucky, but I know some people I've seen in the online community, a lot of CFers have like been dating someone and they tell them and they run off. But one of the things I remember early on in my relationship with my boyfriend, like, so for vesting, it takes about 30 to 45 minutes. And I remember he would drop me off at home and then um, he would text me like, good night. Because I'd always say before the date was over, you know, I'm tired, I want to go home and go to bed. And then he'd end up texting me 30 minutes later, and I would reply, and he's like, I thought you were tired, like, why are you awake? And I was like, hmm. So then I explained to him the vesting and the therapy, you know, and I was like, that's it. He's not, like, who wants to hang out with someone who has at least an hour every day of, like, being hooked up to medical machines? And he said to me, he's like, oh, well, why don't you invite me inside so I can keep you company during it? And I was like, oh, my God. Aww. So I guess then I realized, like, that he was a keeper, so that was, that was nice. And, but yeah. and how is he? How has he been like supportive of you through the throughout the past five years that you've been dating? Well, I make him sleep in the hospital with me <laughs> when I'm there, when he can. Uh, no, I don't make him, but you like I'm him sure too. it's not. I'm sure it's not comfortable <laughs> sleeping on a chair or whatever. But no, he's good. He comes to my appointments with me. He <coughs> he uh, makes sure I vest. He'll get mad at me if I say I'm too tired to do it. Um, I don't know he's just super supportive in every way and I'm very lucky because I don't know I've seen some people who are dating some CFers who are dating people who just don't even care about it or don't don't see the importance of it and that's unfortunate but I'm very like when I'm admitted at the hospital him and my mom will share the parking pass so that because you can get like a week-long parking pass and they'll switch it up so that someone's already always there and I have a very good support system I'm very lucky in that way and aside from your mom and your boyfriend, like, what does that support system look like? I've had my brothers. They're all right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They're brothers, so I have to say that, right? Um, yeah, my brothers and my dad, and I have, I'm very lucky to have good friends, I guess, um, who are always there and come visit me in the hospital. I see, I keep referencing other people online, but I, this is how I know I'm lucky, is that every time I'm admitted, I have friends trying to come and see me, whereas... I see people post about, oh, you really find out who your friends are when, like, they stop texting you when you're sick or they say they can't come when you're in the hospital, but I'm the total opposite of that. Like, someone always wants to be there, and I'm like, okay, well, I have three people here. Like, maybe you should wait a bit. Like, I'm so lucky to be able to have that lineup, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And then I guess you have, like, a trainer, and have you been working with, like, the same doctor who's been following you for a long time? Yeah, so since I went to the adults at 19... Um, had the same doctor. Um, my primary doctor, um, she's a woman. She's super cool. She, she recently bought me earrings, starfish earrings, because she knows I love starfish. I'm not wearing them today, but, um, and then there's another doctor in the clinic who, when I've been more sick and if she wasn't available, I could even, like, text him and stuff like that. So it's very, I'm very lucky with my clinic. And my nurse, also same thing, I could text her. and She's very sweet. I'm very lucky with my team because... Oh my god, I'm a reference reference again, but people online I've seen that they can never get a hold of their doctors or their clinics or their nurses or they don't believe them when they say they don't feel well. I can honestly, I know my body so well that I can say, you know what, I think I'm going to get sick. We should start the IVs just... Preemptive. Yeah, like I don't want to wait two weeks and then be feeling like horribly, so I started and they trust me enough to let me do that. That's really nice. good. Yeah. And like in your online community, <coughs> is that... Are the people from <coughs> from Canada, from the U.S.? Um, <coughs> it started out, I just had American friends, because 
it's a bigger country, right? So there's more people. Um, but as the years have gone on, I've gotten, I've tried to befriend more Canadian ones just because it's a similar system and live the same experiences. And there's a lot from the UK um, and Australia. So those are like the big hubs of cystic fibrosis in the world. And then a lot from like Europe also. But the majority are American just because there's more. More people, yeah. yeah. And like in Canada, do you find that the healthcare system like works for CF better than it does in, in the US or? I'm so lucky to be Canadian, we're so lucky. Um, yeah, you know, it might suck that, I don't know, people have to wait an extra two months for a surgery that isn't like life-threatening. But I've, I've had friends who live in the States who were denied being listed for a transplant, which is basically your last chance at life, um, just because they didn't have enough money. So in Canada, that like their insurance wouldn't cover it. So thankfully in Canada, yeah. Medicare will cover that. So there's a lot of things that, you know, until the new hospitals built here, the hospitals in the States were like hotels compared to here. I was in a building that was built in the 1800s. Um, so it was really annoying to see them getting bacon and waffles with like whipped cream and all this stuff. And I was like, Ugh. but you know what, at the end of the day, if it's like a life-saving emergency, I'm going to be okay. And now we have the new hospital, so I feel like a queen in there. Yeah. No problems. I haven't been in, but there's a new wing of the, um, <coughs> of the Jewish, too. That's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My boyfriend's dad was there, and, like, it was like he had his own room. Yeah, it's like super nice. Place. When they renovate the hospitals here, it's so exciting. Yeah. It's, oh, it's my nice. God. Yeah. And they, they were like okay, like, if you chemo at Verdun, and he was like, no. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> no, so their weight. I'm not. I'm going to the Is Jewish. it okay? Or is this ongoing? It's ongoing, but, like, he's, it's, well, he wants to be treated at, like, the nice hospital system. Yeah, I understand that. Because your environment really <clears throat> does affect, like, your outlook and, like, yeah. how you feel. Yeah. When we train, like, I used to be, it's a respiratory illness, right? And I used to be in a room with four people. I was like, we're clearly all breathing the same air. That's not... And sharing a bathroom with, like, 12 people, I'm like, that's not conducive to well-being. So <laughs> if he can fight for staying at the Jewish home. Yeah. And does the, um, when you're saying you can't be in the room with with CF. other people who have CF, like, what, why is that air one that's going to, like, affect you more than, like, so mine, technically, mine, let's say? Okay, so technically it's a six-foot rule, but when they have official events, like, because who knows, like, there could be someone in here, right, and I wouldn't know. Um, but because um, we always have infections going on in our lungs and you breathe your air in and out, so you're breathing out the infection. And for you, you're going to inhale my infections, but it's not going to do anything to you. But if it was a person with CF who has mucus in their lungs and they inhale it, the chances of them getting that um, bacteria okay. are very high. So It's because the chances of the air you're blowing out being going infected is yeah. higher than it. Yeah. for me. Yeah. Like you, you could be like, we could make out and you could inhale my stuff, but you're going to be fine because your lungs are super healthy. Yeah. But if I was near a cf like I, I don't know what they have. I don't want to catch it. There's some, there's some infections that like will restrict you from getting a transplant later on. So like, I'm very, you have to be very cautious of that. Yeah. And I don't want to make someone else sick, get, give them something they don't have. Right. Yeah. So it's when you can't see anyone, it's like, Excuse me, hard, but when you know there's an official event, it's like one person per event. That's okay. And is there, um, <coughs> does that make it, does that make it kind of lonely? Yeah, so growing up it was very lonely, but then, like, thanks to social media, now it's not as lonely as it was. Um, I think our generation, the younger generations, will be lucky in that fact that they have an online support group, whereas those growing up before me, they were in total isolation, right? And what's the median age now? Um, so in Canada, it's, I think, 52. But that's for a person born today, right? So it's, um, that's really great. But for me, it's still, I don't know. I'm, people say that I'm very, like, pessimistic. But I don't expect to live that long. But, um, yeah, so for a baby born today, it's 52 years. And that's amazing um, that it's gone up so much while I've been alive. In the States, it's a little bit lower. Canada has the highest... Uh, life expectancy for CF in the world. So our Medicare system's obviously a little bit good, right? Yeah. We can say that. <laughs> and for getting the lung transplant, what does that look like? You have to be sick enough to be listed. 
because there's only so many organs available. It's another thing that I like to push is signing your organ donor card. And one day, hopefully, we'll become all universal donors, like an opt-out system as opposed to now it's opt-in. Yeah. But that you have to be... like just what's logical. Uh, I know. Every time... Like, if, you, if it really offends you, then just say you don't want it. That way, it'll be easier. Yeah, the default should definitely be opted in. Like, a lot of countries are doing that. I think France just recently did it, and um, it's going to be so amazing for people who need organs. Is there a way to advocate for them? <clears throat> I mean, it's on my list of priorities, but there's so many things right now. Like, now I'm pushing the access to medication for rare diseases, so we'll see. I forget what the question was. Oh, lung transplant. So, yeah, you have to be sick enough to get listed, because... They're not going to transplant someone like myself now. But you also have to be healthy enough to make it through the surgery. It's very traumatic. So there's a very fine window, and oftentimes people pass away waiting on the waiting list. I say, yeah. So, and it is very difficult surgery. So recovery, it's tough. And lung transplants, I think, I believe, have the worst success rate just because they're always open to the environment. So I think within five years, um, like 50% of people have passed away. Oh, really? It's not yeah. even, like, a no, it's, good solution? It's, like, the only solution. So, personally, I would I would do it for the chance, because I do know some people that are 20 years out, you know? But it's either... But I know a lot of people who also say they wouldn't, because it's really, really hard, and, you know, that's fair. It's a their fight, right? Yeah, it's a big so, risk. So it's difficult, but we'll see. And, like, what are your hopes for the future for that... Um, for the disease and for people who have the disease who are born now so with the medication that i'm on now um there's doing they're doing a new trial um that has even better results and if you start children on that before the lung damage can occur then basically they'd be able to live a pretty healthy life while just having to take these pills you know so that's where i think the future is now because a cure still seems a very far away but if you can prevent any of the damage happening, then you're going to prevent all the infections, hospitalizations, um, clinic visits. It would just be these children would have a normal life just with the popping a few pills, which to me seems like nothing, you know? Yeah. So that's like within our reach, just if we can get the government to, uh, to, cover, to it. cover it and wake up. Why don't they cover it? So um, Quebec's different than all the other provinces, obviously. <laughs> um, they... There's a board that um, reviews medication for Canada and for all the other provinces, and then one for Quebec. But um, both of the panels said that based on its price, it's not worth it. But they only looked at lung function, and they didn't look at quality of life. So for me, did my lung function improve? Not really. But my quality of life has gone up 500%. Like, I used to... I wouldn't even want to brush my teeth at night because I was so exhausted. And what had I done that day? I'd lay in on the couch. I was just lying on the couch waiting to, for it to be like 9 p.m. so I could socially, acceptably go to bed. And like, did I floss my teeth? No. And I say that and like, that's gross. But like, you know, I didn't have the energy. I didn't wear earrings because putting them in and taking them out, that little extra two seconds, like that was too much for me. Yeah. So it's completely changed everything in my life. And there's even better ones coming down the pipeline so that we'll actually, I don't even know what's going to happen then, right? Like, I already feel like I'm at the top of, the, top of like, my world. So just, I really want everyone to be able to live that. I think it's so unfair that someone who could be living down the street is just getting sicker every day when they could just kind of stabilize the decline. Because they can't afford the medication. Yeah. Like, I'm lucky that I'm on my mom's insurance. Um, I live at home, right? Yeah. So... <clears throat> but not all insurances, insurance companies cover it because Medicare doesn't. So. And um, is there anyone with on those types of panels? Is it only doctors or are there people who are like suffering from the illness and then taking the medication? Like someone who could... I don't think there are. Um, in their second round, I know they've done a second round, we're trying to get them to get patient input because in their first evaluation, they didn't ask patients anything. They just looked at the numbers on a sheet. Yeah. They didn't even look at the right numbers, if you ask me. <laughs> right? So we're trying. There's only so much I can do, though, or we can do. It's very frustrating for me to know that like, I'm so, so lucky that I feel better. And it's been a year and a half that I've been on this almost. And in that, who knows what would have happened and who knows what's happening to all the other CFers who are declining steadily over time it's just you can stabilize something 
in a disease that's characterized by decline, like, wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah. It's, uh, it's very frustrating, and I feel bad. Yeah. That others are still suffering while I'm... How, how did I get lucky to be able to be on this medication? Um, well, you deserve it, and so does everyone yeah, else. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Does, and so, in terms of, like, the Canadian election, the provincial, right? Provincial election that's coming up, um, you mentioned that you're trying to, like, leverage that a little bit to to advocate for the me- medication. How How is that? So I kind of have to wait for CF Canada's Quebec office to give me the go-ahead and tell me what to do. But I had a candidate come to my door the other day. Um, he needed signatures to become the official candidate. And I was like, I'll sign this if you tell me you'll fight for um, access to medication for rare diseases. And obviously, like a politician, he's like, oh, of course, give me your email, I'll do it. But I just wish there was a way to get it on... Um, the platform like provincially for the leaders to say you know what we're gonna fight for rare diseases and it's rare so it's not on everyone's radar that this exists and that you could help the lives of 500 people in Quebec so, so in Canada it's 4,000 people Quebec is 2,400 because we have the most maybe it's 1,400 I could be lying don't fact check me but I know that we have the highest and people who have the medication I'm on it's genetic so um, it's for a specific type of cystic fibrosis 400 to 500 people in Quebec could be on it. When I did a campaign with CF Canada in May, only 15 of us were on it. Oh, really? I tried, but we had a petition. We got 10,000 signatures. I was so proud. And then I heard someone else talking about a petition for something for breast cancer, and within 24 hours, it had 60,000 signatures. And it's just, it's not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do anything for breast cancer. We definitely should. We should fight for everything. But we need to fight for awareness for rare diseases because CF is one of the diseases that has had the most advancement in treatment, but where it's inaccessible to people because... They don't know about it. They don't know about it, and they can't help us fight for it. Yeah. So it's frustrating, and I wish that I could scream, you know, cystic fibrosis exists, you can really help us, but there's only so much I can do, right? In Canada, there seems to be kind of like a problem with supply of medication anyways. Like, even outside of this, they ran out of EpiPens. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Seems, I don't know what's going on. It seems like maybe Canada, like, needs to get its shit together in terms of, like, medication. They need to get a little bit more on top of things. I know that um, when they were reviewing this medication, there was another... Remember I told you about that panel that decides, mm-hmm. yes, we'll pay for it or no, we won't? There was one for some, I can't remember the disease, but they said, no, it's not worth it. And it was $750,000 a year, whereas Orcambi's 250000 a year. So I know that those numbers are like staggering to you right now. But, but just, not really. Yeah. But the other one's <laughs> 500000 more a year. They probably give like Heritage Canada like millions of dollars to find like... And the language police in Quebec. Yeah. That's my, that's my <laughs> argument is take it away. I'm half French, I can say that. I know. But I don't want anyone to get mad. If something's less than a million dollars, like, it seems like chump change, kind of, like, in terms of medication and, like, Well, like we say, public health. we're trying to find, look in studies and stuff, but it's very difficult to find how much it is when we're hospitalized, how much when we get a CT scan and this and that, because I think the amount of hospitalizations that are being cut down on and stuff like that um, would bring it pretty close. But um, there's that other medication that they also said, no, this is $750,000, it's not worth it. But uh, the government said, no, we're going to cover it anyways. So it's just, like, for that one, they made an exception, but they won't for this one. Like, in BC, there actually, um, there's a lawsuit. The patients are suing the government to try and get them to cover it. Yeah. So hopefully they'll win, and that'll set a precedent for the other provinces. Yeah. But for right now, there's, it's kind of in the air, unfortunately. But it seems like there's action on there. Yeah, there's action. Like, a lot of people are really <laughs> upset, which is nice to help us out, but... So the waiting is just it's uh, terrible. Yeah. So you have like a lot of um, obviously like heavy things, <laughs> <coughs> heavy things in your life. Like, what are some things that you do to like lighten up and just like make yourself happy? Oh my God, I pet my cats. I'm such a crazy <laughs> cat lady. I'm not gonna say crazy. That's offensive. But I'm such a cat lady. I gave a speech the other day. Um, and someone asked me a similar question. I was just like, oh, well, I'm a cat lady. I have two cats, and they're my best friends, and this and that. It's just so relaxing to pet them. I think scientifically it's been proven that there's, like, feel-good hormones that come. Yeah. I play hockey in the winter. I love playing hockey. I still play once a week. 
Try to go outside, read a good book, hang out with friends. What are you reading? Currently I'm reading The 101 Year Old Man Who Climbed Out the Window and Disappeared. It's Next Adventures. It's the second. I know it sounds really weird. It's It's Swedish. Yes, you know it. Well, I read some of the orange cover one. And for some reason I didn't finish the book. I can't remember why. But I know I enjoyed it while I was reading it. Well, there's a sequel to it. Um, That author, he has another book. It was my... I liked it more as like the girl who saved the king of Sweden. Okay. So if you haven't read that one, I like that one more. It's good. Yeah, you should read it. And do you read any <coughs> any nonfiction stuff? Yeah, I try to. People call me an annoying social justice warrior <laughs> online because I'm I'm a feminist. I'm very proud to be a feminist. Um, I like to fight for that and for people of color and for indigenous peoples and equal rights. So I like like currently I'm reading Malala's book, um, but I have a few. That I have, you know, I have like 50 books that I haven't read and I keep buying more of them, which is bad, right? But like a lot about like race relations and how white people can get better, be allies be and not get angry when we're told you have a privilege that... Anyways, we're not going to get into it because well, that's so, something yeah, else, so but oh I my was gosh. just like <clears throat> talking with a girl, my colleague mm-hmm. about this, who's also my friend, yeah. like in an open concept office, I was like white male privilege like no, no, no. anyways we were like screaming at each other and then we were like okay we, we should stop doing that yeah so I don't know someone told me they think because that I'm more in a marginalized group like maybe I associate with them better and that's why it's easier for me but I just think like, like I don't um, think that's legitimate someone's like well this is this rich white man can't get it but you can because you're kind of more marginalized and I'm like no he just needs to wake up yeah that's not an excuse <laughs> if you're listening to this it isn't about you <laughs> um, um, what are you watching? Um, I just watched that cheesy Netflix movie for teenagers to all the boys I've loved before. Have you seen it? I've heard of it. Okay, you need to watch it. It's good. <laughs> I know that's embarrassing to say, but everyone's saying it. It's, you're saying it was that. just a feel-good movie, you know, when you're down. Like, I watched it on a rainy day, so. So that was good. And TV? I don't know what I have right now. Like, I'm really sad the Mindy Project's over. I'm waiting for New Girl Season 8, or I don't know if it's Season 8. It could be, like... To go on Netflix, um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So you like a, a funny half hour? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't watch. I have nightmares every night. This is like a side effect from something. We don't know what it is for like six years now. Oh, jeez. Um, so for books, like I can't really read. can't really read anything anymore like I used to, like suspense or thriller or anything that's not super happy. It's hard because I already have nightmares and I don't want to feel them. So yeah. for TV, it's the same. I used to watch Criminal Minds all the time, but I haven't watched it in six years. Oh, so that's a scary one. Yeah, anyway. so everything that I like is comedy. Yeah. Basically. Oh, is that a, that must be a huge stressor. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> um, I usually am in bed for like 10 to 12 hours, and I'm maybe I'm not sleeping the whole time. Like maybe I'm in bed at 9 and I fall asleep at 10, but I think I just need so many hours because my sleep that I do get is very... Low quality. Like, I have Christmas lights on in my room at night because I can't... If I wake up and it's dark, like, I can't. Oh, really? It's very stressful. See, these are there's a ton of other things with cystic fibrosis that I haven't even mentioned, like diabetes, liver disease, GERD, wow. all these other things. But, like, the lungs are the main ones. The lungs so are the main ones. About, yeah. And so you have, like, with diabetes, do you have diabetes too? Mm-hmm. And does that affect the way that you have to eat and everything? So when I was first diagnosed with cystic fibrosis... Um, one of the main, the second biggest thing affected is your digestion. So you have to take pills every time you eat. You don't have the enzymes to digest fat. So for a lot of cystic fibrosis um, patients who are constantly fighting infections and can't digest fat, having a healthy body weight was very difficult. So when I first got diagnosed, you know, with diabetes, like you should watch where you're eating right, not so many high, high carbs. Um, but my CF doctors are like, look, we need you to have weight. So just neglect what the doctors for diabetes are saying we need you to be alive in order to treat your diabetes so keep eating the super high fat like for my snacks in school I would have like a chocolate bar because it's super high fat and I'd have pistachios and cashews and just all this the the chocolate bars were the big one because I was in high school right and I wanted to okay I'm the cool kid with the chocolate bar but now I'm more mindful of it because with Orcambi I gained 30 pounds and I'm more I have more energy to actually care about my blood sugars but CF is always first because that's yeah. the more devastating illness. But I took my sugar, gave myself insulin, all that stuff. The medication that you're advocating for help with those things? So it helps with my diabetes. I almost, like I'd say it decreased my insulin by 30%. I think just the medication, because the cells start working better, 
my insulin production in my body was able to start up a little bit. So it's cystic fibrosis related diabetes. It's in between type one and type two. So my body kind of sometimes produces insulin and sometimes doesn't. And sometimes um, the mucus is blocking the insulin so you can't get enough. So it's very complicated, but basically Orcanby has helped me with that. I reduced my insulin intake. So that was a big thing. It's a big thing on paper, but they didn't look at that either. Yeah. yeah. So the last question, <clears throat> mm-hmm. it's crazy. If it helps with also your insulin and your liver and other stuff, they're just measuring lung function. It's like so weird. Look, I don't know who uh, decided this, That's but I can really replace them. That's a stupid thing. I can replace them. <laughs> when do you feel like the strongest or the most beautiful? Like what are the things that you do that cultivate that feeling in you? like as a woman I'm trained to like by society to like not feel like beautiful right like oh my gosh don't accept the compliment that's horrible you're so full of yourself so now it's hard for me to think um I don't know like when I write a good article like I I don't write as much as I should but I like writing about illness or when I when I work out I feel beautiful because I'm like look at this body like it's nature told me that it can do any of this and look at it like lifting these little weights they're not big weights but still lifting them and when I'm biking, they're still my lungs are still helping me go. So I'm like, yeah, Yay. you're very damaged, but you're doing it. So I'm very proud of you. That's great. And maybe when I mar- wear mascara, like I don't wear makeup ever. <laughs> so when I put mascara on, I'm like, oh girl. <laughs> See, that's just because I had no energy ever to put makeup on, right? So now I'm just 29 and I don't really do it, even though I have energy. The habit is. Not I wouldn't there. be able to do it anyways. I'm very unartistic. It wouldn't go, no, trust me. If you saw my drawings, you'd be like, oh, did a kid in kindergarten do that? I'm like, no. Oh, my God. That right. was me. And you don't need to be artistic. You just I don't know. You would see, like, my eyeliner would be like. <laughs> so have you seen what these girls can do? I'm so impressed. They're so amazing. Yeah, but like, it's like they're... theater makeup. Like, in this full sunlight, like, it's a bit intense. The Kylie contour look, that's a makeup practice, like, developed by... Like, yeah, like theater. for celebrities and... Well, it's like for the theater so that the audience can, can see, see you. the face yeah. from like far away. <laughs> like, and in HD, it's just intense. <laughs> but they're still good at it, so like... Oh, they're amazing. It's, it yeah. is, it really is art. Like on Instagram, I'm like, oh my gosh, you went from that to that? Like, how did you... Yeah, it really is art, it's yeah, true. I wouldn't be able to... It's like paint sculpture. Yeah. It's really amazing. Very amazing. Okay, well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. I really Thanks appreciate it. It's a no really good learning experience. Oh. A big thank you again to my guest, Chelsea Gagnon. Please don't forget to register for the new Meet Your uh, Mentor event January 16th and for Side Hustle Huddle January 19th. We're going to cook 2019 off on the right foot, get all our shit in order, strategize, plan. Um, So please, please do join me for that. Any questions you have probably can be answered at www.imposterinterrupted.com or you can email me directly at sophie at imposterinterrupted.com. Follow me at skbabs, E-S-S-K-A-Y-B-A-B-S, or at Imposter Interrupted on Instagram. I'm really not great at the Instagram on the Imposter Interrupted account, so better to follow me on my personal account, skbabs. And thanks. Bye.